Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. And I have a very special guest on today, um, an old friend, and um, who will be, in my mind, um, a regular on this podcast to be able to help and answer questions concerning the King James Bible. And so my friend, Brother Stephen Shutt, Brother Shutt, how are you? Doing well, sir. Hope you are. Awesome. Yes, doing great. And uh, man, it's great to connect. Trying to think when we first met or came in contact uh, uh, there. I know it was through your mother-in-law, Mrs. Ripplinger, but I don't know if it's at a conference. I know we got to preach together at a 400th year anniversary of the King James Bible. That was fun. And so we've been friends for a while and uh, definitely knowledgeable on the subject. And so we're going to jump right in. Let me tell you why. Um, On my part, the King James Bible is such a big deal and an issue. And if you don't know it or know where to go to get the answers, then you're probably not going to be King James Bible. You are going to slide away into the abyss (laughs) where you stop. Nobody knows. And um, and we don't want that. And so I want to give my first introduction on how um, I was able to get some answers. And I've told this before on on different ones, but years ago, uh, I preached on a Sunday morning. There was a lady there, guest, found out later she was a graduate of Tennessee Temple University. She called me on Monday and she said, you mentioned the King James Bible yesterday. I said, yes, ma'am. Do you use the Strong's Concordance? I said, yes, um, every week, sometimes every day. Okay, good. Could I I come by and talk with you? Sure. She came into the office and she had 16 papers photocopied. 16 King James verses, then the New American Standard on the same verse, and then Strong's Concordance definition on one of the words. And 16 out of 16 times, the King James translators blew it. I mean, they didn't have a clue how to translate it. I mean, it was not close to the Greek at all, but the New American Standard was perfect. I mean, 
perfect Greek definition. They nailed it. And I remember hearing that, quote, John R. Wright said that uh, the New American Standard is closer to the Greek. I remember hearing him say that. And so I didn't let her know, but it bothered me. I did not know what to do. Uh, I argued other um, uh, points that I knew, but I did not know what to do with that. And I got off the phone and said, God, you've got to help me. Where do I go? Who would have this answer? And I remembered New Age Bible Versions uh, book. And I'm like, huh, Mrs. Ripplinger, I wonder if I could talk to her. So pulled up uh, either online or probably on the book, found a phone number, called it. And I said, um, is uh, Miss Ripplinger available? Oh, yes. Hold on, please. And she came to the phone and I am on the phone with Mrs. Gail Ripplinger. And she was so sweet, so kind, uh, so non pushy, non-authority. Um, I told her my problem and she said, Brother Baker, she said, the reason why the New American Standard lines up with the Strong's Concordance is James Strong wrote them both. <laughs> Excuse me? And uh, she said, yes, James Strong was on the RV committee and the New American Standard Version Committee and he wrote the Strong's Concordance. So you use your definitions when you translate or when you uh, put that Bible together. No wonder why they match. Wow. And Brother Shutt, here's where it would be. That was, boy, 25 years ago, probably. Um, if I had not gone to the right place to get the answer on that, I know I would not be King James only today. And probably, I don't even know if I'd be in the ministry anymore, because once your foundations are taken away, where do you go? What do you stand on? And so that's how that's how uh, I did not grow up in the King James Bible. I grew up in IV. Uh, it was given to me on my graduation from the First Baptist Church in Fort Madison, Iowa, where I went to, and I had an NIV that was better and modern. I didn't read it. But anyway, I came from that side. My first time at an independent Baptist church, I was at Fayetteville, North Carolina, Berean Baptist Church. And uh, the Sunday school teacher there in the Patriots ministry, the military ministry, was uh, the lesson was about the King James Bible. Well, I had my red NIV with me. And so after class, I got into an argument with the teacher um, that said the NIV was better. And here were my points. The NIV said it was better. <laughs> that was literally in the preface. The NIV said um, that they use the oldest and best manuscripts and they had 40 different denominations to make sure there was no denominational bias in one other thing. And so those were my three arguing points. I'd never read the NIV, but I read the preface of it and it's the best one. Uh, that's where I came from through this. So, but let's, let me uh, find out you. Did you grow up King James only? Is this a transition? Uh, how did you get into this topic and issue? Um. I grew up in a Baptist home. Uh, my dad was the <clears throat> senior vice president for a very large government contractor, uh, transitioned out of that into the ministry, and I became an associate pastor for a local independent Baptist church. So, you know, I grew up King James only-ish um, because, and again, I'm not going to badmouth the man, but he, he was very big in... Uh, the Textus Receptus and the original languages and, right. and the King James is the best because it's the closest to the originals. And so that's the mentality I had. I wasn't really King James only. I was, right. I was King James preferred. Um, it was not until a couple of years, um, about a year and a half after I graduated high school that uh, I came into contact ironically with Mrs. Ripplinger uh, on this particular issue. Um, now my parents and her and her, her late husband, they, they'd known each other for years. Uh, we were always at the, the sword of the Lord conference or right. at the bus conference with uh, Dr. Beebe. Yep. Uh, you know, so I actually knew, uh, them and their daughter through that. 
Um, but I'd, I'd never really thought about it. I mean, we, we grew up as kids not really understanding the issue. Um, when I went to Bible college, I began to understand that there were um, opposing views among, the, uh, among our dearly beloved independent Baptists. Uh, it's the beauty of being an independent Baptist. Amen. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, I, I started asking questions and uh, started working for AV and uh, started working with Dr. Ripplinger with translating. I, I speak several languages, so I was doing some translating and things like that. Um, but to the position that I hold now has been um, many, many years in the making. Um, my approach to the King James issue is, and you know this probably better than anyone, my, my approach to this issue is significantly different than anyone else's, um, simply out of necessity. Um, I'm a pragmatist. I don't, I don't delve into a lot of theory. I, I can, but at the end of the day, the question is, do you in your possession have the word of God? Amen. It is a yes or no question. It is not a yes asterisk. It's a yes or a no. And that is where, you know, my, my coming to this position has kind of morphed into its own. Amen. It is amazing how many people would hem haw and not answer that question, or they would answer, answer it superficially, but when you question them on it, well, they really don't. I remember our issue with, uh, uh, Jack Scott over this. And we talked often back then, and he and I talked. And when people asked him the question, he would say, yes, I believe the King James Bible is the perfectly preserved word of God for English-speaking people. That was literally his quote. But mm -hmm. then when you ask him perfect, what did he mean? He didn't mean it was without error. He meant it was perfect, complete, like the back of his hand was complete, but it had flaws his words. Then he said, preserved doesn't mean that what we have, the King James Bible is preserved. It means it's preserved in the original languages in the manuscripts that are in a museum in England. That was what preserved. And word of God, not really. When you question him, it wasn't the word of God. It was the word of the translators. It wasn't the word of God. And for English-speaking people, it's amazing how superficially people can answer that. But when you question them on it, that is not at all what they believe. They do not right. believe they have the word of God. They believe they have the word of the translators that is pretty close to the original. And the sad part is, and I, I'm, I'm going to dive, I'm going to dive a little headlong into this, so bear with me. Sure. Um, and I'm going, and this may upset our Baptist brethren, but I am going to take the high church mentality for just a moment. And it, there's a method to my madness, so bear sure. with me. We have, we have taken the approach that there is a line between the clergy and the laity. Yep. And it revolves around education. Because if I say I know the original languages in the original, it actually means then I have separated myself from the normal people out in the pew. And <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. Because frankly, if God had to say two different things to the same group of people, he would not be a God worth believing hmm. because he can't be trusted. And the scary part for guys that hold to the position that, you know, Jack Scott held to 
at the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is yours. Because you have set yourself up as the final authority right. in all matters of faith and practice. Bibliology, the doctrine of scripture, doesn't matter at that point. And the question of why, why do you believe what you believe? You can't answer it. You can't answer it with a straight face. And that doesn't, that is the reason the modern church is in the position that it's in. Yeah. I, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a story. Um, where I believe it was Erasmus. I could be wrong on this, but I believe it was Erasmus was invited by the Pope to come to Rome. And they were concerned because of the direction that Erasmus was heading uh, with his translating and things like that. Um, they were concerned and they were like, well, we can, you know, wow and dazzle him with the beauty that is the Roman church. And he'll understand he needs to just calm down. And um, at the end of his visit, he was brought before the Holy Father. And uh, the Pope said, young man, now you understand that the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none? To which he simply responded, very true, Holy Father. But neither can the church say rise up and walk. Mm. And that is where our problem is. Um, we deny the very foundation that is Christianity. Yeah. When you come in and you say, that this word doesn't really mean this perfect doesn't mean perfect. It just means complete. If that's the case, then why, did, why, why are both you words used throughout the King James and, and they're not used necessarily interchangeably. Right. That's a great way to explain that because it is amazing. And as we know, God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, the ruling people or the clergy ruling over the laity. Um, it's all level at the foot of the cross. And the plow um, man can have the word of God and know it and understand it. And when they separate themselves in the original, in the original, and I just did a podcast on, on have we made Greek a God. And people don't realize when they're saying in the original, how many times they're quoting the NIV or they're quoting the ESV uh, when they do that. And they think they're saying in the Greek or in the original, and they're not. And what a horrible thing they're doing to our independent fundamental King James Baptist churches, um, separating the clergy from the laity. You can't really know this because you don't know Greek, or it sends them to where they now have a Strong's and they can look it up too. And so now they are going to be proud and puffed up that they know what the word of God really means. And they've taken away exactly what you said. The word of God is not our authority anymore. They are. And that and to me is the horrible foundation. The, the scary part behind all of that is the fact that most of these guys don't even realize what they're doing. Yeah. They, they have no clue. And the reason is because they have, they have substituted their foundation of Christ and Christ alone for the belief that their professor and their professor alone, yeah. or their favorite pastor and their favorite pastor alone. Mm -hmm. And man, I've, I've, <laughs> I've drunk of the cup and yep. pride, pride will kill you far faster than any other sin will. Yeah, that's big. So I want to ask you this, uh, as we get into this, this introductory uh, 
uh, lesson. And by the way, we want this to be a place where you can come to get questions answered. So anytime through this, if you have a question about something, and certainly King James issue, no matter how uh, detailed or um, big it is, feel free. You can email us at the uh, fundamental Baptist podcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll schedule and we'll do our best to answer these questions for you where you know you can go someplace to get a solid Bible answer uh, because, boy, there's some kindly said knuckleheads out there that are really promoting these wrong versions of doctrine. And they're kind of say, oh, the King James Bible is a good translation. And uh, and really, wait, if we added in dozens of verses and thousands of words, if we added that to the Bible, how in the world can you say that it's a good translation? I mean, that is such a lie. I can't say any of those are good translations. They took out dozens of verses and thousands, hundreds of words. How in the world can I say it's a good translation? But to win you over, oh, the King James, it's a good translation. Um, no, it's not. If we added in, if we added to the Word of God dozens of verses and words, it's not a good translation, and we need to get rid of it. Vice versa, if they've taken away dozens of verses and hundreds of thousands of words, then we need to get rid of that. So to answer this, why is it a such why is it such a big deal about this Bible version issue? Why don't just for unity's sake, just accept all of them? Why are you making such a big deal uh, about this? Why AB Publications and Miss Ripplinger and the books and you and this? Why take the time in a podcast to talk about this issue? What's the big deal? Well, let, let's break this down into a couple parts. So first off, it's a big deal because without scripture, how are you going to know God? Amen. I would, I would like to know how I am expected to figure out who God is without him in some way yeah. revealing himself in a way that makes sense across the board. Okay. Without scripture, you can't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Without some form of knowing it's him, it's not going to make sense. And you open yourself up to a whole world of problems. Right. The second part is, though attached, ever so slightly different in the sense of how are you going to know what truth is? Um. I mean, and I've asked this question several times of several pastor friends of mine who who say, well, the King James got it wrong here, and it really should be translated this way. I'm like, okay, cool, awesome. Is there a English Bible today that has that verse right? Um, Yeah, but you got to be careful because these other versions, okay, awesome. Is Is there a version that has that verse right and those other verses right? Um, you know, I don't know. Okay. So if you can tell me where all the problems are, surely you can tell me where, what all of the corrections are. Right. Because again, and I'm just going to read the definition of bibliology here. Bibliology is the study of the Bible, the word of God. The Bible is the inspired source of knowledge about God, Jesus Christ, salvation, and eternity. Without a proper view of the Bible, our views on these and other issues become clouded and distorted. Bibliology tells us what the Bible is. Good. That's In a nutshell, that's what bibliology is. Why is that so important? Because I have never once 
heard a pastor who questions whether or not a particular doctrine is translated correctly in scripture, I've never once heard them question whether or not he got tithing right. <laughs> Mysteriously, God always gets the tithing part right. Yeah. But when it comes to his own word, he got that wrong. Okay. If scripture is as important as Christianity says that it is, by its very definition, Christianity as a whole, and I, again, please don't misunderstand me. I am not just relegating this to the Baptists. I right. am relegating this to Christianity as a whole. Absolutely. If we say we have the truth, what determines that? Well, my walk with Christ. I know a lot of Muslims who are far more moral people than many Christians I know. Mm. If, we're, if we're going by that opinion, then the Muslims have it hands down. What sets us apart? Scripture. It's amazing how it's so subjective. It you is. Know, well, I feel it, or I think it, or whatever, which brings me to the Andy Stanley. Um, and <laughs> here's his quote recently, and I listened to him again today. We must tether the faith of this generation and the next to the resurrection and not the infallibility, inspiration, or authority of Scripture. And just like you said, without Scripture, how do you get the resurrection? How do you get the truth? How do you learn about Jesus? How do you know anything without the scriptures? And it's amazing how much they're wanting to distance themselves from this book where it makes it, they're the authority. How in the world is that happening? And can people be an honest preacher to say something like that? You can't. And I, I will be straightforward with you. Um, I, I take scripture at face value. Okay. Um, the church I pastor does not have Baptist in the name of it. It doesn't, but ask anybody who knows me and they'll tell you where I stand mm. because everything is attached to scripture. Mr. Stanley, he's got some, and I'm not gonna lie. He's got some good stuff out there. There's some things that he said where, I mean, a blind squirrel will find a nut every so often. Okay. Yep. But there are things when you make that statement, we've got to tie it to the resurrection and not the infallibility of scripture. You just took scripture away from the people and said, it doesn't matter what that book says. Right. And let's be honest, you take that away. What's to prevent legalism from stepping in where you're adding law to grace, right? right. Now you, now you have completely undermined your entire faith. I am not worshiping a book. And that is that is a straw man argument that a lot of the modern version people, and even some of my King James preferred brethren, they, they're like, well, you're worshiping a book. Absolutely not. I worship the God of the book who right. is just as consistent in preserving his word as he is preserving his own name. He said his word above his own name. Amen. And if I can't trust him to keep his word, then I have no hope of salvation. Okay, Titus 1-2, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Yeah. If he can't keep his word, why would I trust him for salvation? Absolutely. 
it's amazing. And there's so many nuances. My brain is going a hundred miles an hour like yours is because we know <laughs> what's being said out there. We know what the questions are and, and um, give us time. I think we can get to all of those and be able to truly, truly help some people. So uh, in this first introduction one, give us your understanding of the Bible, the King James Bible, your position on it. Um, so in, in as clear and succinct way as you can, uh, tell us your position on the King James Bible. I believe that the King James Bible is the absolute inspired, excuse me, let me rephrase that because that's not a biblical term. It is the absolute given by inspiration of God, word of God, the final authority for all matters of faith and practice for the English speaking Christians, period. And could I dive deeper? Probably, but in, in a that's it in a nutshell. It either is or it is not. And I believe and, that it is. And how, you know, you know, when you, you say that, is that a radical position or is that what Christians have believed uh, they had? We have a copy of the word of God. This is the authority in all matters of faith and practice. If not, if this book is not the authority, then what is? And you said and, it, it's the professor, it's themselves, it's somebody they like or follow this week or this month or this year, and then it becomes somebody else that they follow, they become the authority. And it is a radical position for modern Christianity. Um, but for historical Christianity, even for historical Judaism, it's it's not radical at all. Mm -hmm. It's it's It was a normal thing. Uh, let's be honest, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians were killed. They were murdered for possessing scripture. Right. Now, there's no fear of that in the United States. And I, I, I preface that in the United States at the moment is not illegal to own as many versions as you like. Um, my concern is nobody's actually reading them. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that statements have been made that I would rather somebody follow and pay attention to what's inside the book as opposed to what's on the cover of the book. 100%. Absolutely. I agree. But the problem is I know what's missing based on what the cover says. Right. Exactly. Because if, if I look at Fox's Book of Martyrs and I say, I, I want Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's, there's the book that everybody thinks, that little bitty book, that says condensed. Because Fox's Book of Martyrs is actually eight volumes. Right. It's ginorbombulous. It's yeah. humorgimous. There's some Greek words for our followers on here. <laughs> so, Thanks for quoting the Greek to make people feel comfortable. That's the, <laughs> the cover tells me what's inside of it. Right. Okay. So if I want a condensed version of Christianity, then sure, I will go to a condensed version of Scripture. But if I want actual Christianity, the stuff that counts, the stuff that's actually going to change your life, I'm going to find a book that doesn't um, miss things that are relevant to my walk. Yeah. So um, one of the big issues, and this is foundational, in when we say, and you just said, the King James Bible is inspired, okay? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's always amazing how simple this was. And when I first heard this issue in Bible college talked about, and I asked the question, okay, people hold up the Bible all the time and say, turn in your scriptures. This is the scripture. Okay. Then all scripture is given by 
inspiration of God. It's amazing how many people, they don't really believe that. The King James Bible is not given by inspiration. Um, the originals were given by inspiration, and we just have a decently uh, translated, it's pretty good, it's okay. Um, you know. But wait, how in the world are you going to call it Scripture when the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? So the big question, you know, I'm sure where I'm going, you guys believe in double inspiration. Do you believe God audibly spoke to the translators and told them what to write down like he did for the apostle Paul. So how would you answer that um, on double inspiration? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, sure. Um, here, here's the thing. They could accuse me of double inspiration all day long, but uh, with your permission, I, I'd like to do a little Q&A between you and me, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. How many, uh, how many years did it take to write scripture? Uh, a few thousand. Okay. Uh, roughly 1500, somewhere in there. Um, how was it just one person that, that wrote the originals? I, I think it was 40 or so. Okay. Um, and obviously over 1500 years, they were not all at the same time, correct? Hmm. Oh, wow. I know yeah. it probably was at different times. Okay. So by our own understanding of bibliology and, and, and Bible history, 1500 years 40 authors, not all at the same time. That's 40 inspirations. I think I can be begrudged having two. Okay. Um, so do I believe in double inspiration? There's no such thing. That's, that's a straw man argument. Um, if you believe inspiration and preservation to be equal parts, then it's not that big a leap. Um, now, do I understand the argument? Of course I do. Because if you accept the premises that no translation can be perfect. Right. And it's funny, they always interpret perfect as without error at that point. But when it comes to yep. anything else, they interpret it as complete. Right. But that I digress. Um, do I believe that a translation can be perfect? Yes. And I fall back to their own argument. The originals were not all in one language. What? No. They did not exist. The book of Daniel was written in three different languages. We know that. That's a very commonly held position, and it's a very openly held position by everybody on either side of the fence. Right. Okay. I would also point out that we have no idea what Moses wrote down originally. When he penned the five books, he was trained as an Egyptian, hmm. meaning he probably wrote in Egyptian. Wow. Hieroglyphics, however you want to look at it. Okay. We don't know. It's an assumption. Yeah. But we have no idea. When guys say, well, in the originals, I, 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 stop. You've never seen them. Right. Absolutely. You've seen copy of a copy of a copy of a copy that's very, very old. And in a language that you have a very, very, very basic understanding in, but you've not seen the originals. You've seen the original languages, right? But you've not it's seen amazing. the originals. It's amazing to me that people would actually think that a book written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews, entitled Hebrews, uh, that was all about the Hebrews and every, it was written in the dog language of Greek. It's amazing that people think that. 
Another thing, why would Paul have written to the church in Rome, the people in Caesar's household in Greek? Yeah, exactly. It it was absolutely unthinkable at the time. I would ask the question, what's the purpose of the, uh, what's the purpose of the gift of tongues in the book of Acts that we read about? What's the purpose? If everybody spoke the same languages, everybody could get along, everybody could read and write. That was the most useless gift that God could have ever given. But Brother Shad, everybody spoke Greek back then. Don't you know that? Sure. And that's why they had to ask Paul, what? <laughs> I remember you told Can't me. Can't speak Greek? Sure. Can't that's like looking at us and saying, can y'all speak English? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's amazing too. And this is a longer lesson. And I think I've already, I know I've already done one on that. I don't know in this podcast or not, but we can get it to you um, on how you define inspiration. You know, that is such a crux of it, how you define inspiration. It was defined for decades as God breathed. And so when it's defined as God breathed, and that was a that was a strong argument to beat back the modernists when they were saying thought inspiration instead of verbal inspiration. Did God speak the words or did God give man the ideas and they wrote it in their own language? Okay. Thought or verbal inspiration. The fundamentalists, John Rice and all the rest believed in verbal inspiration. Uh, The moderns believed in thought inspiration and they battled that with the definition of God breathe, verbal inspiration. Now it beat that argument. The problem is with the wrong definition, it creates other bad, um, Doctrine, because now, and this is what Jack Scott and others said, if inspiration is God breathed, then the only languages that are inspired are the languages that God breathed, which were English, or sorry, which were Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And so uh, that's the only thing that's inspired. And with that definition of God breathed, okay, I could see where you could build that. But when you understand that that is not the definition, and again, it's longer to go into, but all scripture is given by inspiration by the Spirit of God, as holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The first definition, first mention of inspiration, the Spirit in man, um, the whole theonoustos, it's the Spirit, new pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. There's all the ways to look at that. And so here's the question, and I would love to for someone to give a decent answer. Why in the world did the translators use the majority text most of the time to translate? But yet on times like 1 John 5, 7, the three that were reckoned in heaven, the Father, where the Holy Ghost, these three are one. Why did they use the minority text? The minority of the Greek text didn't have First John 5, 7, but they used the minority. Did the Holy Spirit tell them to translate using the minority text and make sure First John 5, 7 is in there? If so, then the King James Bible is inspired. Why? Because the Spirit guided them to do that. I've never heard anyone that believes that the Anglican Church of England, God audibly spoke to them uh, in the translation. I've never heard anybody that believed that, but I can very easily believe the Holy Spirit of God moved on them to guide them to make sure we have a perfect without error Bible. What would you say to that? Well, here's here's two two, if not three parts to that question. First off, Anytime you are reading the Greek text, okay, most of the time when these guys are reading the Greek text, they're not reading the Greek. They're reading an interlinear, which is a Greek Greek phrase, and then underneath it has English words associated with it. So they're not even, they're they're cheating, okay? Um, As somebody that speaks multiple languages, I don't even consider somebody 
who can't pass a third grade test to be fluent. Right. Okay. Um, do I believe that God audibly spoke to the translators to tell them which texts to use? My honest answer is I have no idea. <laughs> right. Am I willing to rule it out? Absolutely not. Here's why. Because in scripture, God did precisely that many times. Sure. Do I believe that the translators understood that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established? Yeah. See, when they got to Acts chapter two and were translating Acts chapter two, they saw 14 languages that God used to give the gospel for the first time. So they instantly knew, and the Holy Spirit within them bore witness with the Holy Spirit of the person that they were reading that gave them the word of God. Okay, there's a whole different definition for spirit involvement. But this, the Holy Spirit bore witness and said, hey, if I did it then, and you've got Ethiopians, Coptic Christians, all of these other languages that heard the word of God, would it not stand to reason that they wrote it down somewhere? Mm -hmm. And if they wrote it down, is it not possible that you have access to it? And then you can take and say, hey, yes, the Hebrew and the Greek say this, but if you look at the Latin or the Coptic or the Syriac or yep. the Aramaic or all of these other ones, the Farsi text, Look at all of these other ones, and you can say, okay, they all agree here. They all agree here. They all disagree here. Hmm. Why do they disagree? The job of a translator is not an investigator. It is to take all evidence and everything that is said in every language he understands and produce it in a language he is told to produce it in. That's the job of a translator. Okay, it is the Holy Spirit's job to tell you where to look. Mm -hmm. It is your job to be obedient. Amen. And the translators understood that because they did not approach it from bias. They approached it from a scholastic point of view. Now, say what you will. The, I do not believe all of them were born again. Sure. I don't. Um, could I be wrong? It's possible. But I... I I find it very, very odd that a man who would translate the King James Bible could walk away unscathed by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right. He may have entered that room lost, but he sure as a world didn't walk out lost. Yeah, definitely a close, uh, close thing. We're about at the end of our first um, episode of this. So uh, again, if you have any questions, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about the Septuagint. We're going to talk about the different uh, translations. We're going to talk about the originals. We're going to talk about uh, different verses that people have questions about and problems with. Um, and I know um, you also speak Spanish fluently and been pastor of a Spanish church and uh, the things God's let you do. So we're going to get into the Spanish issues also, and that's a big deal out there. So if you have any questions, 
question for anything like that, feel free to email us at the uh, fundamental Baptist podcast at gmail.com and reference uh, King James question. And uh, we'll be glad to be able to bring those up. So before we close um, this first introductory one, is there anything you feel like that, okay, boy, if there was something that you would want everyone to know about the word of God, about the King James Bible to put in their mind, or if there's a study you want them to do or uh, anything like that, what would you, uh, what would you say to them? Is there something else you'd like to leave them with and close with, or even a thought for them to think about? Uh, what would that be? The, the main question that I want all of the listeners to ask is, a, it's a fairly simple question. Um, if God got his word wrong, what else did he get wrong? But if he got it right, yeah. when he said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, which are you? If God got it wrong, you're off the hook. Hmm. But if he got it right, better make sure you're right. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Blishat, thank you. I know you're busy. Lots going on. Thank you for taking the time for this. And we'll uh, look forward to uh, more of these in the future. So, hey, keep coming back. Send us your questions. And uh, hopefully we can do a good job to help you. And by the way, even if you've already passed over and you think the King James is not the best translation and you're using something else, uh, feel free. Ask us the questions. Uh, because obviously, in my opinion, I'm not trying to put you down or be hard with you. When you had your questions, you did not have the right people to go to to get the answers. You got some answers, but you went to the wrong people. And because of that, um, you would now be an error concerning the Word of God. And so ask us those questions and see if we can answer them for you and um, maybe see what God would do to be able to pull you back. I grew up on a King James Bible, grew up doing sword drills, and I uh, uh, grew up with all of that. And then started using, carrying an NIV. And then you realize, wow, okay, this really is not true. The King James Bible is the word of God. And uh, I need to get back to that. And we would love to be able to help you with that. So since your questions, we'd be glad to. But shut. thank you again for taking the time to come on here. And uh, we'll look forward to doing this in the future and get to help a lot of people. God bless and take care. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.